The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. It is in many ways, truly a glorious day here in Massachusetts. It's in the high 70s, not a cloud in the sky, the kind of day that you don't get very much of in April. Um, if you enjoy spring and you have it where you live, I would suggest that you stay where you are because we don't really get it here. Um, but I do have to say that uh, a great person has left this earth today. Prince is dead. Long live Prince. And if you don't think this is a big deal, well, you should turn on uh, your television because MTV is actually playing Prince music right now. So there is music on MTV right now in honor of Prince. So I feel like a piece of my childhood has, has passed away. So I'm a little sad about that. Um, but we're not really here to talk about me today. We are here to help you. And uh, we have a really great show lined up for you. We're going to be doing part three in our series on tuition reciprocity agreements. And uh, this week, we're going to be talking about the Western Undergraduate Exchange. Um, and we're also going to be talking about something that was raised by actually uh, by a listener of ours who um, posed the question, you know, what happens if you and your child disagree on the final choice of college? And we know that it can happen. We've seen it. Uh, and uh, what are some some possible solutions when that does happen? So we're going to be talking about that. But before we get to those, uh, there's an even bigger question looming for maybe some of you, hopefully not many of you, and that is, what if you don't have any choices? What if all the decisions came back and there wasn't a yes in the bunch? Or maybe you got a yes, but it's a school that you can't afford and none of the affordable options uh, said yes. And I'm very excited to welcome Lauren Randall, who is my colleague here at College Coach and also a former Georgetown admissions officer uh, and also a former college counselor in both Hong Kong and here in the U.S. Uh, to talk to us about what those options might be. Uh, welcome, Lauren. Hi, Beth. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Uh, and hopefully, like I said, we're not talking to too many of our listeners right now. Um, but hopefully I, not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm curious, did you ever see this happen when you were uh, a college counselor? Did you ever have any kids who didn't get in anywhere? I'll have to say that I never had a student that I worked with that never got in anywhere because I think, you know, a lot of times this does happen when there's not a balanced application uh List. Mm-hmm. So I really, you know, have always stressed with my students to make sure they have a balanced list. However, my best friend's younger sister didn't get in, any, in anywhere. But the really shocking part for all of us was that she was valedictorian of a class of 400. Wow. So it is not just the bottom students that, you know, their grades didn't cut it. It can happen 
to to the top of the top. Yeah, and I do think, because I don't want us to be kind of fear-mongering in our listeners that this is a really rare example. It typically doesn't, and when probably is exactly what you just mentioned, which is lack of a balanced list, where you're shooting only for a few very selective institutions that are going to be very unpredictable, and as a result, you end up with no options. Um, That's exactly what happened to my my friend's sister's a valedictorian. She really thought that that alone was going to be enough to cut it at, at these highly selective schools, and her list list was was just an overreach. So, Got it. Yeah, yeah. That's usually that's how it happens. So, what did she wind up doing? Well, this is interesting, and this is kind of where I want to start off because I do think that there is a difference between a student who truly has no offers, so denied everywhere that they applied, and a student that at least has a waitlist option. So I want to start there because that is what happens with my friend's younger sister. So she did get waitlisted, and while that is not an offer, you cannot bank on it, I would say that is the first thing to follow up on. If in your list you have, or in your, in your decisions, you have any waitlist, you have to pursue that immediately. Of course, if that's the place you want to be, which I'm, I'm hoping and assuming that is. Right. So make sure you're accepting the place on the, uh, on the wait list. You have to usually actively accept that position. Um, but absolutely head straight into your guidance or college counselor's office or your principal or whoever at your school helps you with your applications and was an advocate for you in this process. They need to know about your situation, whether you were waitlisted or whether you have no options. Uh, because, again, they are here to advocate, or they're there to advocate for you, and they should be doing a lot of follow-up with the schools as well. So in this case, you know, she was waitlisted, and her guidance counselor immediately got on the phone with the school and explained the situation and, and told the, the school that she was a sure thing. If admitted, she was going to be there she had the school's full support. They gave updated grades. And, of course, the student was also in touch uh, with, with the school. It all worked out. She got off the wait list and is happily ever after. So that's a very positive story. But it that's is. where I wanted to start because if you have a wait list option, time is ticking and you need to move fast on that. Right, exactly. So in the meantime, if you do have a waitlist offer while you're waiting, I think there are some things you can be doing. And then these also apply to students who have no offers at all. So what's the, after the waitlist piece, what, what's the next thing you would recommend a student do? Right. Well, first of all is uh, there needs to be a, you know, suck it up and move fast. You know, I think that, that this is a really tough situation, and I really feel for any student or family in this situation, but it's not going to do you any good to, to wallow or to think back and say, oh, well, if I had done this differently, we have to move forward. So a quick thing that I would say to you is if you have any kind of doubt that there was a major mistake within your application. It doesn't hurt to very respectfully um, reach out to the colleges that denied you just to make sure that nothing was egregiously wrong, like your high school accidentally sent the wrong transcript. You know, I would say that is a very rare situation, Mm -hmm. but I have seen it happen. So if there was something really wrong, you do have the potential to appeal that decision. But again, this is a very rare case. So we're starting with the kind of oddballs here. But that's not most students. So... As long as you know that everything was as it was, you have to move on from these denies. 
There's really not much else you can do with them. So we got to move forward because surprisingly, even though it feels so, so late, there are a lot of colleges in this country that are still open for admission, still accepting applications. And I can give some uh, thoughts on where to find these if that's helpful. Yeah, that'd be great. I think, you know, having those resources is probably one of the most important things. Sure. Okay, so maybe these colleges weren't immediately on your radar, but it doesn't mean, just because that they're still accepting uh, applications, it, it doesn't mean that they're not a great college and could potentially be a really good fit for you. So, you know, I do think the research piece of this is still important. It's, you know, not just throwing out another, you know, 50 applications here. We want to make sure that you, you, any additional applications you submit, it is a thorough and thoughtful decision. Okay, but how do you find them? First, I want to say that there's a difference between colleges that have just late deadlines, like May 1st or June 1st or July 1st. Those exist. That's different than a school that practices rolling admissions. Mm-hmm. And the reason I point that out is because this is where additional homework comes into play. If you find a school that you love and you're ready to apply for now at this point, if they have rolling admissions, you still need to double check that they have spots because they may already be full. That is the point of rolling admissions. They just keep going until they're full. So you don't want to waste any time or effort here submitting yet another application that's going to go nowhere. So if you see a rolling admission school, first, be hopeful, you know, and that there's a good chance they still will take your application, but just double check directly with the college. Great. Okay. okay. So how do you find these colleges? There's several different spots. First of all, an easy spot it, most students have opened up a common application at some point. They probably that probably applied the first time. You can actually filter in your common application under the college search tab by school. So you say you're a first-year student and you're still looking for fall 2016. And then you can even filter by accepting applications after this date. So you put in today's date. I did that just before I came on. And it looks to me that there are about 300 colleges in the country that are still accepting applications. So they're out there. And, you know, you can filter it down even further by the states and the regions that you're looking for. But those are 300 that accept the common apps that are still accepting applications. So there's hope. Right. Right. And Absolutely. And that's the for key. The universal that's app, just... so you can search the same way. Right. And I mean, what's key about that is that's just looking at the schools that accept the common app um, because there are probably way more than that out there still taking applications. But here, if you filled out the common app, here are 300 schools where you ideally won't have to do much more than simply send this application that you've already filled out to a couple of other schools. Um, So that's great. Yeah, exactly. One thing I would say about that, though, is you probably have some updates since you filled out that common app in, mm-hmm. in November, maybe. So I wouldn't be, you know, so hasty here that you just click submit because you've already filled out the common app. Maybe take some time to make sure that it's reflecting still your strongest application. Are there updated grades or test scores, more achievements, you know, uh, extracurricular highlights? Maybe you even want to take some time to, you know, uh, brush up your essay. So Mm -hmm. make sure, you know, you're still submitting a a strong application that you're proud of. Got it. Makes sense. What are some other places where uh, you could find other colleges that might still be taking applications but maybe don't take the Common App? Mm -hmm. 
Well, like I said, there is a list on universe, on the Universal app as well. It is much smaller than the Common App. Um, if you're in California, the California State University Mentor site, if you Google that, and then uh, there's a tab for Application Filing Status Report. It's a little bit convoluted there. But this is the California State University site. Um, you can filter by, by campuses and then by major that are still accepting applications. So I know there's a lot of students in California out there, um, but that's a great site for, for students that are looking for the California State University system. Great, great. And then, of course, you know, I'm, I'm ending with the biggest animal here. You can go to Big Future for the college board. Um, and you can sort by application deadline. So if you go to the top, which you see your results, you, you put in your filters first, size, location, all that good stuff, click results, but then you have to filter the results, and that's how you can search by application deadline. I'll say it's a little bit overwhelming. That's why I ended with that, because it's, it goes back, it's, Start when you filter it, it's going to start by January 1st. So you have to go all the way through to look when the next set of deadlines, and then it ends with all the schools that have no deadlines, that they're just rolling admission. So again, I think that this piece, while it's a great tool, it still is going to be another, um, you're still going to have to dig a little bit deeper to follow up directly with the colleges just to make sure that they still have their accepting applications. And it. one more one more piece I'm going to, I'm going to uh, highlight after May 1st, the National Association for College Admissions Counseling, if you just Google NACAC, N-A-C-A-C, they're going to put out a report after May 1st of all the colleges out there that are extending their deadlines. And this is a significant date because that May 1st is the national deposit deadline. So all these colleges that might have had deadlines earlier, if they didn't fill their class, Trust me, they want you. They want you. They want to fill those beds and those those seats in, in the classroom. So after May first, there's going to be even more reporting out there, and that's coming from NACAC, N A D A C to Google. Right, exactly, because, I mean, that's also when waitlist activity tends to start to happen as well. But for colleges who are looking at their waitlist and looking at their returns and realizing they're likely to fall short, that's exactly what happens, right? They're saying, okay, hey, we're still looking for good people. If you um, if you are interested, um, check us out. And I know that um, on there's a Facebook counselors page, and I know that at this time of the year, right after May 1, sometimes people will post, I have kids, they don't know, they, you know, they don't have a spot, and people will say, hey, we're still accepting applications. You don't really have access to that, but NACAC mm-hmm. is really where it all starts, which is great. Um, exactly. What if, what if you're looking at all the options and for whatever reason, maybe you're like your uh, friend's sister who was valedictorian, who was shooting very high, and as far as she's concerned, there really aren't options that kind of fit with what her goals and ambitions are and truly with what she has achieved so far. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what are the options for the students who have looked through the schools accepting applications and come up and said, you know, maybe I can't afford those options or there's nothing there that really appeals to me? What then? Sure. Okay, for, this, for that student that they say, with these options, there's nothing that really appeals to me, I would first say, you know, dig a little bit deeper because I bet they're just because, you know, you hadn't heard of them yet doesn't mean that's a great fit. But, you know, I, I was talking to some of our colleagues here at College Coach, and we're all former admissions officers, and 
they did point out that if a student, so maybe the college that, that you found, it's not going to be the most selective schools in this country. That's probably not going to happen. But if you're that valedictorian type or if you're a real high flyer and you find a college that is, that you are, you know, above their averages, but it's, a, it's still a pretty selective school and you've missed those deadlines, you can certainly reach out to them and explain the situation and say, listen, I just found out about your school. I don't know how I missed it, you know, back, back in November. But I really think for all of these reasons, I would be a really happy here and a great applicant. Is there any way that I can still apply? And you'd have to submit, you know, in that email or that or reaching out, I would say, you know, include all of your highlights. It's, it's a rare case, but according to my colleagues and, and our professional experience, it can happen. But again, you need to more or less be a high flyer for that particular institution. Does that make sense? Yep. No, it makes perfect sense. So basically, don't imagine you're going to call up one of your reach schools and convince them to take you at this late date. But a school where you might have looked like a really excellent applicant in their pool, um, if they are not already totally filled to the brim, they might consider it. And I, I think that's the key is we're not talking about typically those very selective opportunities, um, but maybe just kind of a step below that. Some really excellent schools, though, that they were mentioning. Um, we won't exactly. name names, though, today. Exactly. Um, so we only have another couple of minutes. Is there any any other advice that you'd want to give to our listeners about this? Absolutely. So, I, you know, I would say that these are, are not always the, the most popular uh, options that that families and students want to hear when they're in this exact situation, but I would not rule out the conversation of community college or a gap semester or year. So let's start with community college. First of all, you know, I, I previously lived and worked in Virginia, and there were a lot of top students that didn't get into their first choice, but would end up choosing to go to the community college in Virginia because there are amazing articulation agreements with the state university. So you're, you're way into UVA, if you didn't get in uh, on the first shot, could be through the community college system. And I know a lot of states have really strong articulation agreements. That could also be a really strong option if, you know, like you were saying, that none of your choices are financially viable. Mm-hmm. Well, that community college certainly is in comparison. So that's, that's an option. And, you know, I wouldn't say it's for everybody, but it certainly can work out in the long run to still get to your to your dream school and, and end up with that degree. Mm-hmm. Um, for the, the gap semester or year, first of all, semester, there are many colleges that do admit students for a spring term. So you might consider taking a gap semester um, or perhaps a year. And But if you're going to do so, make sure you're thinking about how you're going to be a more compelling applicant the next time around. You know, just sitting at home and wallowing about, you know, how this all unfolded isn't going to make you a stronger applicant, but maybe doing an internship or community service or, you know, additional classes, that might make you even stronger. Um, So you can look into spring admits or apply for the, you know, a full year later. Got it. I think that's all super great advice. Lauren, thank you so much. And I think... Hopefully, uh, the listeners who most need this information are tuning in because I think there's a lot of really good stuff there um, to help them. And I appreciate you joining us today. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Mike. And I wish anybody listening in the in this situation the very best. Um, it's not the end of the road for you as long as you're moving fast right now. 
Absolutely. All right. So after the break, we're going to be doing part three in our series on tuition reciprocity. So don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, myth, reality, and 21st century archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Um, Before the break, I promised that we would do part three of our series on tuition reciprocity, and I'm here to make good on that promise. Um, We're actually going to be talking about the Western Undergraduate Exchange today, and my colleague Beth Feinberg-Keenan, who's a frequent guest on the show and a former financial aid officer at Northeastern, is here to tell us all about it. Welcome, Beth. Welcome. Thank you. Sure. So um, for listeners who aren't aware, we've been doing a series on um, programs that allow you to attend colleges in other states for the same price or close to the same price as you might pay for in-state. So if you stayed in your own state. Uh, and that's kind of what the the goal is in talking all about these. And I guess for from for you today, my first question is really, what is the Western Undergraduate Exchange exactly? So the Western Undergraduate Exchange is also referred to as WUI, and it's often a program that comes up very, um, it's a common program that comes up when I'm traveling on the West Coast and meeting with clients um, in the Western part of the country. 
Well, but it's really a regional reciprocity tuition agreement, which enables our students from the western states to enroll and participate in two- and four-year public colleges. And what they would be paying is 150% of what in-state residents pay. Um, there's about there's 15 participating states, so as far west as Alaska and Hawaii, and up to the Dakotas, and as far east as uh, Colorado. Got so it. it's pretty wide range in terms of the what they define as the West, um, Got it. in terms of that participating makes- states. Okay. And I think a key thing there that I just heard you say is that it's for 150% of tuition. So it's not exactly like paying in state rates, but it's certainly a break. You're getting um, a break on what you might pay if you are from out of state, So, which is great. Um, Definitely. And I think that's so important because if, you, if it's state costs, you know, $10,000, then through the WUI program, a student's likely to pay $15,000 for, you know, for tuition fees. It's only the tuition fee component. It's not the room and board component because that's what they're, you know, that's what's different for residents versus non-residents of, of those states. But it's right. also important to understand that it's also public colleges. Uh, private colleges are not part of this program. Got it. And that's- I think the other key, key piece, too, is especially in the West Coast, we know that there's some really popular schools at the University of California, uh, so UC Berkeley, UC, UCLA, uh, University of Washington, University of Oregon. I mean, a lot of those more popular schools, they are not participating colleges. So it's not all public universities. Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure that if it is a public university that you want to attend, that you're checking the list of the participating colleges on the, um, on the, on the website. Right. What is the website? Just so we can, we'll say it now and we'll repeat it a little bit later. So let me just, um, I'm so sorry. I, was a, I had that. So the Western Undergraduate Exchange website is www.wichi.edu.wui. So www.wichi.edu backslash W-U-E. W-U-E. All right. Got it. So, um, all right. So a couple of clear clear things here. 150% of tuition and fees doesn't include room and board. Uh, and not every college is going to be participating. So if you just thought, oh, my goodness, I live in Washington State. Now I'm going to go to Berkeley for 150% of what Californians pay. Not so fast because they aren't participating. But how does it work? Can you walk us through that part of it? Sure. So when you're applying for admission uh, to the schools, some schools will automatically consider all applicants from a participating state for the discount. But I have found that actually many schools actually require you to indicate that you're actually interested in applying for the WUI rate. So some of the schools will be through the financial aid or scholarship office uh, and also indicating it on your admissions application. Some schools you're just going to write it in. Other schools might have a checkbox that you're actually indicating that you want to be considered for as a WUI applicant. I don't want to even say as a as a WUI rate, but first Got and it. foremost, before you get the WUI rate, rate, you have to get accepted through the program. Okay, as Got a it. as a WUI student. So, just living in one of those states is not a guarantee that you get the discount, correct? It is not a guarantee. 
Um, often uh, schools have more rigorous admission standards. I was working with a family earlier this year, and the son was applying to um, Montana State, and the dad was telling me that he was applying through the Western Undergraduate Exchange. So we started to talk about it, and I pulled up Montana State, and they had specific um, standardized test scores, and they also had specific um, SAT, sorry, standardized test scores and GPA. Student met the GPA, but he was two points under Ooh. on the standardized test score. So it wasn't looking favorable for this family that the student was going to get the discount late, which the father had thought that, hey, we live in, a, you know, we live in one of the participating states. He's applied to Montana State. It's a guarantee. Not right. as likely for you know, every student. Got it. So for that family, probably if the student could go take the test again and do better and, and hit that mark, then he might be eligible. But right, very important because there, there aren't any guarantees. And, and do you see that there are a lot of schools have special admissions requirements as part of the WUI program? I do actually find that they often do have more rigorous requirements. The other piece, too, is often, often schools also have a certain number of slots. Ah, so yeah. every single student who is from the region is not going to be accepted for this discounted rate. So if you're applying to a school where you're hoping to get the discount and they have a limited number of spa, you know, spaces, make sure that you apply early. Make sure that that application is high on your list of getting it out the door mm-hmm. um, as one of the first applications. And so you're not shut out because they already filled the number of uh, spots that they can give that discount to. Got it. Got it. Um, are there certain majors and degrees? So we met, you mentioned that some of these, they have fewer slots, maybe they have um, higher admission standards. Does that apply also to, you know, maybe they want to offer this discount to engineers, but not to English majors? Or um, what's your sense of that piece? Yes, that's also a key component too, is it could be major specific. Uh, some schools may open up um, the discount to all majors, and other schools may actually just limit it to selected, selected majors. Uh, sometimes it's some of the schools that will limit it to certain majors are schools that have more popular majors, mm-hmm. so maybe they don't um, allow nursing, um, you know, students who want to major in nursing to take advantage of the discount because they don't have any problem filling the nursing program. Right. So, Again, when you go to the WUI website and you click on the university that you're interested in, they will also list all of the eligible majors that are eligible to participate. Um, So you want to make sure that you're checking that out. Not only does the school participate, but is it a major that you can study at that institution and also get the discount? Got it. And what if you get there and let's say they offered the major to, they offered that discount to you as an English major, but once you arrive, you decide, I want to do nursing and I don't want to be an English major anymore. Do you lose the the WUI discount? Does it travel with you? And that's a great question. I think it really, it depends. I mean, first, if the nursing major is an eligible program at that institution, because if it's not an eligible program, then again, you're going to lose that 150% 150% discount, you're mm-hmm. going to be paying now what non-residents pay. Got it. Schools have a certain number of spaces, so it's best to really check with the individual school and check to see if you are going to change your major, how that would impact the discount that you've been receiving for the first year, for the second year, depending on the timing of when you're going to potentially switch majors. Right. Um, I never want to say it's a guarantee. I mean, it's, so, it's a good rule of thumb is 
you know, check before you make any changes because you don't want to be in a position to find out that you assume something and then it's going to cost the family or cost you more money in the long run or and you didn't realize the consequences of that. Right. I mean, that, I, that piece of advice, I think, applies to virtually everything around the college process. Never assume, always, um, especially when it comes to things that are related to finances. You know, you don't miss deadlines. You don't assume, well, I had it for this. I'm sure I'll get it for that. Um, you just always want to double check, especially when you're dealing with these types of, of specialized programs. Um, Definitely. I, yeah, I just have a couple more questions, and and I think the next one is really around, does financial need come into play when schools are deciding who they're going to offer the WUI discount to? For most schools, it does not, but there are a handful that do. And I, to be honest, I tried to reach out to, um, I sent an email to the site, just you know, as I say, to the organization to see if they could give me a list of schools, and I haven't heard back yet. Um, of the schools that do um, have some, some type of financial need component. But in all the years that I've been traveling to California and working with uh, clients who live in the West Coast, uh, primarily because California seems to be the state that I travel to most, uh, most frequently, mm-hmm. I haven't come across a school that does look at the family's ability to pay in terms of limiting the discount to, to their student. Got it, got um, it. But on the website, it does indicate that there are a few, but they, don't, they do not indicate what schools, in fact, those institutions are. Got it. All right. So, um, unfortunately, they haven't made it so easy. So, really, you kind of need to, if you have the schools you're interested in, you need to dig a little deeper and see if they have that component, um, it sounds like. Correct. Correct. And one other, one other you know, one other indicator might be is if they require the family to file the free application for federal student aid. So if they're requiring the FAFSA, to, sorry, they're requiring the FAFSA as part of the application process for the WUI discount, mm-hmm. that could also be an indicator that they are looking at the family's ability to pay when offering, the, when offering this discount to students. Got it. Okay. And then I think last question that I have is really around applying for financial aid. So can, if I have a child or I'm in this situation, can we still apply for financial aid and be eligible for scholarships alongside the WUI discount? Definitely. You can definitely apply for financial aid. Um, You want to look at the big picture. The discount is just one of the pieces of um, the puzzle in terms of how you're going to afford college. And that discount is just one of the ways to make college more affordable for the family. But if that still isn't, if it doesn't bring down the cost uh, enough to allow the family to afford that institution, you want to make sure that you are filing for financial aid. Uh, so that's it. completing the, the FAFSA, the Free Application for Federal Student Aid, to, for the school to determine eligibility for any type of need-based financial assistance, to offer uh, the student any type of federal student loans, and then the scholarship process is really outside of that. Uh, the time that the student's admitted, they may be offered scholarships. I've had a handful of students who have been admitted to um, schools uh, under the WUI discount, and they've been offered scholarships that are a couple thousand dollars, to, you know, three to four thousand dollars, to even bring down the cost to be more in line with what residents are paying at that institution. Got so it. it 
it's not, I was going to say, you know, it's not a guarantee, but they're considering, you know, highly qualified applicants, not only for the Louis discount, but also for additional scholarships that the institution might also have to offer out to help even further discount the cost of that institution. Got it. So um, it never hurts to apply. You never know. And hey, maybe you wind up paying pretty close to in-state tuition, period, um, if it all works out. Um, Beth, thank you so much. I just want to repeat that website. Correct me if I've got it wrong. Um, but I have www.wichee.edu backslash W-U-E. Is that right? That is correct. All right, so visit that site. You can learn more about the Western Undergraduate Exchange there, Um, although you could listen to this segment again, and there's really good information there. Beth, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Beth. Have a great Uh, day. You too. Take care. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for you with Arvind Vora weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome back. Um, 
I'm excited uh, to give uh, a shout out to one of our, our, probably our earliest listeners, Jay Mickenberg, who uh, has long been a fan of the show and, a, and a, supports us in comments on Facebook. So thanks, Jay. And he actually posted a question on the Facebook page around, you know, what happens if parents and students are disagreeing on where the student should go to college. It's right now, some of you may find yourselves in this situation. It's your child's senior year. You have the decisions back. You may be super excited because the school you think is the absolute best fit for your daughter said yes. And your daughter might be excited because the school she sees is the absolute best said yes, but oops, they're not one and the same. And so now you're at odds over that. Um, and I'm really excited to welcome Lisa Albro, who is a my colleague here at College Coach, but also a former admissions officer at Goucher. But probably more importantly, even for this conversation, a former high school college counselor um, to talk about what do you do when parents and students disagree? Hi, Lisa. Hi, Beth. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I guess my first question for you is, in your time here at College Coach or when you were working in the high school setting, did you see this happen frequently at this stage of the game? I did. I mean, I wouldn't say more than not, but it, every, every year I would have a few cases, sure, and still do. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. I think, um, you know, if we have time, we're going to talk about maybe ways in which you can avoid being in this situation by this point. But why don't mm-hmm. we um, start with what are some of those reasons that you typically see why, um, you know, sort of the reasons why parents and students are disagreeing on a particular school? Mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest reasons I see, well, two, two of the biggest reasons are distance. Very often, parents don't want children to go so far from home, and I know a lot of students who want to be far away because they want to stretch their wings and experience something that's different from what they've been, you know, exposed to for the last 17 years. Um, And costs, sometimes the bigger one. Uh, You know, 17-year-old, 18-year-old kids don't always have a grasp on what that means when they see a price tag of, $60,000 $60,000 or something of that nature. And parents do. <laughs> yes. It's scary. Uh, and there's, in many cases, not that understanding of what it means to take out lots of loans and, and all of that. So those are the two biggies. But I have a couple others. Um, academic reputation or majors offers. Sometimes parents and students disagree on what that means. Uh, maybe mom and dad have one view of a school and, and you know, son or daughter has a different view of a school based on its reputation uh, or thinks they might want to major in something or thinks they have to major in something in order to go somewhere in that field and parents may not see it the same way. So sometimes there's a little bit of a clash about that. Uh, And sometimes atmosphere of the school. Um, Very often parents like to put the kibosh on a school that may seem like more of a party type school or they've heard is a party school Mm -hmm. and don't want their children going there. Um, Whereas the student might say, look, I I know that happens everywhere, but that's not why I'm looking to go there. I I want this or I want that. So sometimes they they battle over those. Got it. And I can't help myself. I know I said I was going to wait to see if we had time, but I I, I can't not say this. And that is (laughs) 
one of the biggest ways to avoid all of these conversations or disagreements is to be as upfront as possible in the early stages. Because if you feel as a parent very strongly that you are not going to support your child going to a particular school, then that school ultimately needs to not be on the list. And similarly, if your child is telling you, I'm never going to go there, it is not a place that I like or I feel comfortable, it shouldn't be on the list just because you as a parent really like it. So, um, you know, ultimately, the disagreement should never get that far is kind of where I'm coming from. I know that that's a pipe dream, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. I agree, though, and, and I, I say that 100% of the time, too. The family is supposed to talk these things over before you make any sort of commitments in the way of an application, even though an application isn't a commitment unless, of course, it's ED, which, you know, we would never encourage a student to apply someplace early decision that right. parents don't support. That would be crazy. But, uh, yeah, to, to talk it over at the point of application and make sure that parents and students agree on these schools. And, uh, again, it happens, though, sometimes that they don't. And uh, I've had students before who've kind of acquiesced and said, okay, fine, I'll put that on my list. I'll apply, kind of hoping and praying they don't get in because it's a place they don't want to go. And they do get in, and parents say, oh, great. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> or, or by the same token, the parent might hope and pray that the student doesn't get into a place to, to which they object and the student gets in and then it's a whole other can of worms. Um, I actually was conferring with a few of our colleagues before this call and was asking some of them what they advise students. And one of our colleagues who has children, uh, she's a parent of a college senior and of an eighth grader. And one of the things she said was that in their family, she is the parent has veto power over the decisions until the kids are adults. And that means that they can make choices and they can say what they want to do, but in, and she won't tell them where they can go to college, but she'll tell them where they can't go, which is yeah. kind of an interesting uh, way of looking at it. That, you know, it's, it's her pocket <laughs> that that money is mostly coming out of, too. Yep. And she's the adult, and she's helping them make the soundest decisions for themselves. Yes. And I will mm -hmm. share another story of one of our colleagues who shall remain um, nameless, whose parents required her to apply to a college that she absolutely had no intention of going to. And so during the interview, said as much to the interviewer. <laughs> but I'm applying because my parents required me to. I have no intention of going here. And guess what? She didn't get in. So lest you think that you're going to direct your child and they're going to do things exactly the way you want them to, they have options too, and including doing something like that. So um, that. I will add that she is very successful and went to a great school and it all worked out as it often does. Um, okay, so before we get too far off track, what are some things, all right, so fine, they've gotten to this point and they disagree um, because we weren't here telling them this a year ago. Uh, what do you do now? What are some steps that they can do, uh, can take to get past the disagreement or to kind of try to resolve it? Okay, well, communicate. The number one thing is to communicate and that's sometimes very difficult for students and parents at this stage in their relationship because they've been through this whole process now and, and they feel like, okay, I'm at the end. The light is at the end of the tunnel and if they can't, just let me do what I want to do. You know, um, but, but talk about 
you know, what are your pros and cons for each school? Why, really, honestly, do you not want me to go to this school? And why, honestly, do you want to go to this school or do you not want to go to the school or what, what have you? Or, or why are you pushing the school on me? Um, be honest about your reason. You know, sometimes it does come down to one of those, those biggies, that distance issue or that cost issue. Um, but don't hold back if that's why you don't want your child to go to a place. Um, mm-hmm. You know, explain that that's the reason and, and help them to understand. Um, right. But I think pros and cons are really helpful, and I don't know that a lot of students or parents are in the practice of, of making lists. I'm a big list maker, personally, and, and I try to encourage my students to do that, too. Sometimes if you see it in writing in front of you, whether it's on a computer or handwritten or whatever, if you just say, okay, here are the pros, here are the cons, and, and sometimes it's easier to argue your case when you have right. them spelled out that way. Yeah, and I mean, I think that what that does is it forces you to go beyond, I don't know, I just don't like it, or um, I don't know, I just think it's a great school. Really sitting down and, and, you know, as a student, if you're trying to convince your parents of one school over another, you know, dig in a little bit, go Mm -hmm. onto the website and find those courses that you really want to take and make the case from an academic perspective of why a school is a better fit for you than another. At the very least, it's a reasonable, intelligent argument that relates to the whole purpose of you going to college versus, well, my best friends are all going there and I want to do that too. Um, And I think as a parent, same thing, right? Make a list of pros and cons. You may find that either, A, you are, um, maybe you don't have a lot of really good reasons and that might make you realize maybe your child does, but maybe mm-hmm. you do have some good reasons that your child is not thinking about. Um, mm-hmm. You know, 18-year-olds, in a perfect world, you, you, you're, you, you have a good handle on what's going to make you happy and um, the kind of environment you're going to be comfortable in. But one of the challenges I do sometimes see is a student who thinks, oh, I just want that big state school. It's going to be great. And a parent who knows that that kid is not a great self-advocate and could really get lost on that big campus. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so they may really have some really good reasons why the smaller liberal arts environment is the better fit for the student. Your child may not agree, but at least if you put it down in that list of pros and cons and help them understand why you feel that way, it might Mm -hmm. at least help, I think. Yeah. Communicate. I think, too, we all have our own biases, and I think parents especially need to confront those biases. Uh, For example, you know, Parents are a certain age. Uh, when they were applying to colleges, some schools had a reputation that may have improved significantly by now uh, yep. compared to what it was back in the day. I, I could probably, you know, and I won't do it on the air, but I could rattle off names of schools that we used to think, oh, all you need is a pulse to get into that school, which, you know, again, that's, that's a terrible bias to have, but that's how when you're 17 or 18, that's how you talk. And so yep. some parents might still have that vision of a school being too safe not academically challenging enough for their child, knowing that their child is you know, really good at, at certain things or you know, really capable and, and think, mm, you're selling yourself short by going to that school. Maybe they haven't accepted how the stature of a school has risen or, or, or known about it. You know, maybe they haven't researched this, and, and so their bias might be holding them back. So if that's a communication piece, if they do discuss that, Maybe it can come to light and maybe the student can say, hey, but I know it's a better school. Look, the honors program, they're letting you to the honors program here. Mm-hmm. You know, what have you at that institution? That might help a parent to 
realize the potential a school has that they might have kind of tossed aside previously. Right, exactly. And so, I mean, next week we're going to be talking about how exactly you go about making that final choice, but are there some other things or other factors um, you know, one thing that comes to mind for me is maybe now is a good time to do a return visit to the t- the two campuses in question. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, with the one the student wants, you know, so the student can show the parent what, what it is they really like and the parent can do the same with the school that they're most interested in. Mm-hmm. Um other things that you that you think they, they should be considering at this stage? Well, I think a lot of it does come down to that visit and, and the know, you know your child and know where he or she fits what's comfortable for him or her and, and really accept the fact that what you might envision as the perfect environment for your child may not be what he or she envisions. And uh, I have a quick example. This goes back probably oh, 15 years, maybe more, to when I was still working on the high school side. had a student who applied early decision to a school, very, very, very selective school, top school. Uh, it was deferred applied regular decision to lots of other really strong schools. She was the salutatorian of the class. She was a wonderful student, brilliant uh, and you know, sweet, wonderful. Uh, got into most of those, including one of the very, very tippy-top selective schools whose name will not be mentioned, but you could probably <laughs> imagine one of them, one of the three, yep. <laughs> right? Also got in regular decision to the school from which she was deferred in early. And that was her top choice. That was the one she really wanted. It fit her personality. It was really, and no parent should have objected to her going to that school. She, she would have come out with, oh, you name it, all kinds of opportunities, terrific place. Parents said, you can't say no to X school. Mm-hmm. So yep. kind of, not kind of, did force her to go to one of those other tippy-top schools that she got into, and she was really unhappy. I communicated with her for a while during her first couple of semesters, and she, she very thoughtfully kind of spelled out the pros and the cons of the place where she was and why she was making the best of it and why she understood that, you know, certainly most people would kill to get into this place and she should be happy, and she found good reasons to, to be happy, and she did fine, and she went on to her PhD eventually. She's, she's you know, okay. But I think for her happiness factor, <laughs> yep. the other place, the place she had identified early on as her top choice, still would have been the better bet. I still think she would have achieved what she achieved had she not gone to the other, to, to the, the one that her parents kind of forced on her. Right, right, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so I think, too, that points up something really good. Perhaps those schools shouldn't have been on the list, right? Because mm-hmm. if everyone knew that she would never be able to turn it down if you got in, um, you know, I, I did something similar when I was applying to college. Mind you, I had no shot. I wasn't getting in. But my take was <laughs> if I do, then I'll probably have to go because how do you turn that down? So I'm just not yeah. going to apply and then I won't have that as an issue. So, um, Lisa, thank you so much. I really appreciate you joining uh, today. You bet. Thanks for having uh, me. Absolutely. And thank you to all my guests. Uh, a few important things as uh, before we wrap up. Uh, next week, I'm actually back hosting the show. We're going to be talking about what kinds of things you need to be thinking about as you make that very final decision. Um, May 1 is the common reply date, so it's coming quickly. Um, we're going to be doing part four in our series on regional tuition reciprocity, and this time we're tackling the American, I'm sorry, not the American, the academic common market, i.e. the South. 
Um, so again, that's the academic common market. And then we're also going to be answering your admissions questions. You know, we do that segment once uh, a month um, and next week is the week. So if you have any, send them in to us. The email is gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Again, it's gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Uh, I also want to let you know, we have a great new blog uh, it's been fully redesigned. It's searchable. Um, there's so much great stuff on there. I want to shout out to Erica Braley, who comes on every week and feeds me questions or every month when we do our call-in show or our um, our listener question show. Um, she was really the driving force behind that. Um, we just posted something, I think, today, uh, choosing when you don't like your options. So if that's your situation, I would check out the blog. It's at getintocollege.com forward slash blog. Again, getintocollege.com forward slash blog. And there's also a really good blog in there about um, five tips for increasing your financial aid offer. Uh, also, check out our archives. We have a lot of good stuff on there. We also, you can sign up and get free downloads of the show on iTunes. We still don't have enough rate ratings there. So if you have time to go and write up a quick rating of the show, we would really appreciate it. Uh, and don't forget, we're here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. We'll be right back.